Hey everybody, welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm your host, Brandon David, as always. Really great show today. We have Jigger of NorCal Cannabis, which is one of the largest vertically integrated players in California. Uh, we talk about raising a lot of money. They've raised $76 million in total so far. Uh, much more to come soon. We also talk about scaling uh, everything from building brands versus buying brands, opening up retail, large-scale cultivation. Really, really great episode to learn from, again, one of the biggest uh, vertically integrated players in the state. You're really going to love it. Jigger has a great, great overview of the entire industry. Um, and We talk about going from a grower to scaling a pretty big business. Uh, it's a great episode, guys. You're going to love it. I learned a ton. You're going to learn a ton. Tune in, listen up, get acquainted. Well, Jigger, thanks so much for joining us. Been excited to do the interview for a little while. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Excited. Yeah, absolutely. Let's get started on just an easy one. What is NorCal Cannabis? Um, well, kind of easy, right? Um, NorCal Cannabis uh, is one of the largest vertically integrated uh, single state focused operators in the cannabis space, uh, specifically California. Um, we have assets throughout the supply chain from cultivation to uh, manufacturing and distribution, uh, delivery and retail. Um, you know, we are basically creating a uh, house of brands and building a uh, delivery channel or putting it on a delivery channel to uh, get it to consumers, whether it be through our retail or delivery. A lot to unpack there. <laughs> yeah. I think we should start with the cultivation side originally. That's originally how you started, right? And there's a couple brands that you uh, you sell through. Let's just talk about them a little bit. Occidental Hills. Kind of tell me the the brand behind that and like how that came together. I guess. Sure. Yeah. So yeah, as you alluded to, cultivation is kind of our backbone. It's where we got our start. Um, we have multiple cultivations of an all indoor uh, throughout the state. So we operate in San Francisco and Santa Rosa. Um, Occidental Hills uh, is really homage to kind of the er the heritage of cannabis uh, in Sonoma County and really kind of Northern California. It speaks to um, the traditional market that had been happening around the uh, hills of Occidentals for the last 30 years. Um, for us, that brand is really, um, what we're really trying to do there is show off uh, our kind of capability to, to produce uh, high quality indoor at a very value-based uh, price for consumers. So. Um, you know, you'll see old school strains, Sour Diesel, Northern Lights, some of the new up and coming strains that, uh, you know, have been around for a little while, do -Si do Blue Dream, for example. Um, and it's really just um, a way for the consumer that appreciates indoor flower to get great indoor flower at a good price. Got it. Everything is indoor that you do, by the way. Uh, everything that we cultivate is indoor. Yeah. Um, you know, we we'll have brands on the market that'll be utilizing our sourcing network. Um, obviously, we've been here for a long time and um, have really strong roots in the cannabis space, so we're able to speak with a lot of growers uh, up and down the state. Everything you do is indoor. Talk a little bit about the advantage there. Why indoor? You know, indoor, obviously, for a couple of reasons. Like The easy, the easy reason is that's where we started. That's where I learned how to cultivate. Um, it's something I've been doing for almost 20 years. Um, the other reason is when you look at cultivation across the state, we realize that there'll be price compression. Um, it's just a matter of time. And when you look at indoor and how hard it is to not only 
um, grow indoors, but actually entitle the buildings, um, run them efficiently. Um, we see indoor being the one piece of um, that supply channel that's the, probably the longest to price compression. So as a company, we felt very confident that we could take a stand and stand behind indoor um, as we kind of as we navigate the cannabis space. Got it. So the second brand, One Life, talk a little bit about how that's different from Occidental and you know sort of the comparison there. Yeah. So you know, if you think about stuff as good, better, best, um, you know, Occidental being the good, um, uh, One Life uh, really is about being the better, and it's it's in terms of where it sits in terms of our flower placement, but. Uh, really, One Life is more about um, a California lifestyle. It's about the craftsmen and all of us, um, whether you be a weed grower or an artist um, or a chef or um, somebody that makes knives for a living. Um, it's, it's about doing what you do with passion and doing it the right way. So what you'll see through our One Life brand is strains um, that we'll do that, that are a little more cutting edge, things that we want to do, things as growers that excite us. Um, you know, I, I think you know, it could be, it could get real easy to just kind of continue to do the ho-hum part of growing weed, like grow it, package it, set it off to market. Yeah. Uh, I think with One Life, it's really more about expressing how we feel um, about the cannabis movement and about the people that are involved in it. In it. And, I, and I think it's, it, again, like not just about weed growers, it's about that whole lifestyle, right? Do what you want to do, do it well, and be proud of what you do. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay. So very different from the Oxenel, already seeing sort of the diversity sure. in different brands there. And then there's Big Owls, which you guys acquired, or what's exactly the Yeah, so there? we entered into a joint venture uh, kind of with Big Al, and, um, you know, Big Owls, as you know, is one of the, the, the more popular street, or I would say, like, high-end indoor flowers uh, mm -hmm. on the market. I mean, it routinely sells for $100 an eighth. Um, Al, uh, through this process, was not only a neighbor, but turned into a good friend, and, you know, like we talked about earlier, it's, it's really hard to grow uh, flower or indoor flower at scale. Um, the cost of just getting to the point where you can actually produce the quantities that are required to maintain a brand like that in the market are difficult. And you know, I think what Al saw in us was the ability to take his formula and work with him to grow those his strains um, and get them to market uh, in a way that he could still build his brand. Um, and we took care of the heavy lifting when it came to compliance and legal and marketing and all the other things that you need to bring a product to market. We're going to handle and we're going to let Al do what he does best, which is grow, you know, some of the most premier exotics in the world mm -hmm. and, you know, utilize both his skill in pheno hunting and, um, you know, what he understands about high-end cannabis um, and, and let him really flourish. So you touched on it a bit, but because you have so much experience in cultivation, what makes great flower? <laughs> Love and attention. Uh, um, uh, yeah, that's not a lie, right? Look, like, you can go uh, and see greenhouses, and and I've visited many really awesome built facilities. I think experience is really something that differentiates um, us in terms of what we do. Uh, you can look at flower we produce in a 60, 70, 80 light room compared to what somebody pulls out of a closet and you'd have a hard time distinguishing what came from where. Mm. Um, I think the, the way that we cultivate is kind of a hybrid of being super or hyper efficient, but also making sure that the people that are in those rooms are growers that know what's going on, that have worked with those strains and understand the cannabis plant. Um, and that makes a difference. Um, you know, 
for us, it's about taking care of the plant, not only while it's growing, but while it's curing, processing, packaging throughout the whole um, process. And when you have a bunch of folks, at least on our cultivation side, that have been doing this the majority of their life and that have passion behind what they do, it shows in your product. Mm. Got it. Like any other product. Yeah, I, I think so. And I think Cooked that, with love. Yeah, but you know, there's a difference, right? Like in large-scale manufacturing, like it's really easy. Look, we know how to, some of the guys that we have on our cultivation team have run acres and acres of cannabis greenhouses, but we're not growing the same way. I mean, there's definitely a unique way about how we grow our indoor flowers, and it's because of the quality and what we want to come out of them, right? High, you know, great tasting, high THC content, um, really something we could stand behind. You know, I want to be able to go into a dispensary when I don't have any weed on me and go buy my flower and make sure that's that's what I want to go buy when I go in there. Mm -hmm. Got it. So there's this narrative in the cannabis industry that regulations and scale are actually producing lower quality cannabis for consumers. Is that something that you can relate to? Have you seen that? Certainly not with your own brands, but kind of give us your two cents. There. Look, I can relate to it in the fact that I started really early in trying to partake in the regulated market. and tried to do it all on my own and what I realized was while I was great at growing cannabis like when you start getting into running a business and all the other particulars that happen with that um, you can lose focus so really it, it kind of breaks down and it's part of what your podcast about is like investing in cannabis right like look to compete at scale you need money to actually like do all of those other things I think that if you can focus on what you do best and have the right people focusing on what they do best, no problem at scaling. And I, I think that that narrative is false because you're hearing it from a lot of people that haven't made the effort to invest in a compliance team or invest properly or go raise money properly or give up some equity. And I think what you're realizing is like, look, you either get it that like this is, this is not a small business, this is not a mom and pop thing anymore and as much as we want it to be, like if we want to compete and we want to have solid products in the market, um, we have to bring in some professionals to things that we aren't professional at. And when I say we, I mean the, the part of the industry that's a heritage. I consider myself from weed and a heritage guy, but I also have a lot of really smart individuals on our team that love weed but aren't necessarily from the industry, but they help me with a lot of other things that help me thrive in what we do. Yep. And how do you go about the, that process? There is this big influx of people from technology or other industries coming to Canvas. How do you sort of evaluate them? How do you maintain that culture from what you've been doing since 2004, you know? Yeah, it's, it's a tough one, right? I mean, that really at the end of the day is, it's about culture, right? And um, I guess when we talk about NorCal, it's like the way I like to explain myself, and I've told you this before, is, is like it's a strong roots and bright future. And it's, it's really about uh, being the stewards of the heritage of this industry and kind of, uh, bridging the gap between that heritage and what will be the future. And we understand that you're gonna need, and like I, like I just alluded to, we're gonna need people that understand finance and tech, um, logistics, uh, because we were playing a different game. You know, When the illicit market was thriving or the Prop 215 market was, was thriving, um, you didn't have branding, you didn't have regulation, you didn't have people that were financing these things. And so you didn't need people to really look after them. Um, in, this day, in this day and age, it's really understanding of, look, if I'm going to find somebody to help finance something, I'm going to look at bankers, right? If I'm going to look for somebody to help build brands, we want to look at people from the marketing world. If we're going to be doing um, research and 
uh, development. We want to look at tech. We want to look at real scientists. Like these are things that weren't available to us in the old days. Mm -hmm. We should be, uh, you know, I, I take a different approach to many. I think we should be proud that our industry is matured enough that we have access to what I say is like the normal world. Mm -hmm. What's the alternative, right? <laughs> you know, the alternative yeah. is you, you stay archaic and you, and you don't change your ways. And you get pushed out. And you get pushed out. Yeah, got it. Um, so back to the brand discussion a little bit. When you think about new brands, and presumably you guys are going to have more brands that you're going to bring under the umbrella here, there's this classic sort of build versus buy decision. How do you think about that? Are these going to be homegrown? Are you looking at more acquisition? Tell us about the future of sort of branding here. Yeah, I mean, look, we look at it two ways, right? Like I said, again, everything is for us. Is it either fits into that heritage or future category. Um, and when you think about heritage, and obviously Big Al's represents the heritage to us, look, we want to take brands that have a present in the market, and we're going to struggle to get through the next level that we feel we could work with to get there. How many of those brands we work with to be determined? Um, Occidental Hills is obviously one of our own creations, but I think it, the unique thing is when we think about the future, I think um, it will be more of, you know, a build or partner, um, you know, by it's pretty early to see who's winning the race. You know, we're, we're spending a lot of money um, on kind of uh, data analytics of what's going on in the cannabis space to understand what the new consumer looks like. I think the heritage consumer is the heritage consumer, right? We, we know who those consumers are. They've been going into the stores for, you know, decade plus. Um, when we think about the new consumer, which is where everybody's attention is focused, while they're really important, it's really a matter of time before they actually overtake the heritage consumer. The heritage consumer is still the power consumer, and we realize that here. So, you know, as we go about building new brands and bringing them to market, um, based on other types of, uh, I guess, segments of the population, we're not going to do that willy-nilly. We'll go out and, like, understand what type of consumer um, we're going after and what what they're trending towards. And I think that that makes a lot of sense um, against the backdrop of what's happening right now. I think either people are too heritage or too future. Mm -hmm. So when you look at that new percentage of people, which I agree with you, are quickly going to become bigger than the heritage people. I don't know if it's quickly. I think that's the real thing that, that we need to ask ourselves. Mm -hmm. I think that you need to be nimble like in everything else in this business. So I think for us right now, it's a nice blend of having um, you know, equal amount of heritage strains along with an equal, or sorry, heritage brands um, com combined with a nice pipeline of what I call future brands hitting the market. Got it. Do you think those people will want flowers? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I say that from a, per uh, from a personal perspective. Yeah, I mean, look, I, look, obviously vapes are trending right now and um, we'll have some cartridges in the market here shortly. Um, and edibles are hot. Um, but, you know, again, it depends on, will the power user go away? I don't know. I doubt it. Mm -hmm. I think that there's still going to be a really big need for flowers. I think you're going to see flowers really tend to go towards the indoor market. Um, and I'll, you'll start to see biomass, outdoor, and greenhouse be used in the ancillary products. Mm -hmm. More of the oils, the vapes, the edibles. How about beverages and non-smokable stuff like that? Is yeah, I think that there's going to be a, a need for all that stuff. I really uh, love the beverage space. You know, I think that there's some really cool things you can do with beverages. You know, when you when you look at the landscape of how many people um, drink alcohol, um, and you say that there's this, I can provide you with this drink that makes you happy, 
you don't have a hangover and you're not drunk after it. Like, and maybe you won't a, be high for six hours. Yeah, hour, I mean, that's, yeah. A, that's a pretty good argument for something to try, right? I think for that, it's really changing the headspace of the consumer. And uh, uh, we'd like to be part of that conversation, uh, but I think it's, it's really gonna be a big movement. Large portion of the cannabis industry is hyper-focused on CBD today, partly because of regulations and the ability to distribute it and sell online. Is that something that you think about, or you know, well, what's your plan? Yeah, and look, of course we think about CBD, yeah. and I had this conversation this morning. Um, it's a huge market with a lot of players in it, and it's, it really is crowded, um, just the regular CBD space. Um, while I can appreciate the CBD stuff you'll find at Walgreens or you know, whatever's on the shelf kind of OTC right now, um, I think the cannabis CBD space is really more interesting. Obviously, the entourage effect of cannabinoids and CBD is really where the cutting edge of medical use is. And we will be paying attention to that. Um, I, I don't want to lose focus, though, as a company on looking at how we can make, um, you know, a hemp-derived CBD drink or a hemp-derived CBD lotion. Um, while I think it's super beneficial and everybody should do it, in fact, like, like I think the Farm Bill, in essence, may change the world in terms of farming. So I'm behind it 100%, but for us as NorCal, it's not really our focus. It's more of a distraction. So there won't be a NorCal CBD mascara anytime <laughs> soon. That's not coming. Not that I know of. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Uh, you brought up delivery, which has become an uh, increasingly bigger part of your business as well. According to the website, you're the biggest uh, network of drivers in California. A big part of that partnership is Ease. Talk about Ease as a partner and sort of how that got started and, and maybe how it looks in the future as well. Yeah, look, Ease, uh, as many of you are aware, um, you know, run their, their own platform, which is basically you can go in and order the products that are, are on the menu, right? And we were one of uh, Ease's first uh, delivery partners here in San Francisco. We covered half of the city. Um, and through that relationship, uh, we were able to basically grasp more regions across the state. And so now within NorCal's reach, we have both all, actually all of San Francisco, um, part of the East Bay, Sacramento, um, Long Beach, and some other Southern California uh, regions that are coming online. It does make us the largest delivery in San Fr or sorry, in California mm -hmm. by a far margin. Mm -hmm. um, we love the East partnership. Uh, you know, some of our brands, including Occidental Hills, uh, are on the Ease menu. So we see it as a way for us to move our product through their menu as well. Um, but, you know, we get a lot of insight from Ease, too. You understand what the consumer is doing out there. You see who's buying what. Um, and, you know, when, when you see the Ease consumer, it's, it's a different consumer. It really does represent a little bit more of the new consumer on the market. Mm -hmm. I think that, that data is really mm -hmm. crucial for us. Is part of the future to grow that network further? Is is that, are you doing? Yeah, I mean, look, we'd want to we'd want to run the entire state, and I mean, that's where we have our sights set. Mm -hmm. Got it. So there's a little bit of controversy in some some uh, individual cities in California that don't want to have delivery in their particular city. That's different from what Prop 64 originally outlined. What do you think of that? Should cities have that right? Um, no, I'll be honest with you. The will of the people is the will of the people, and the people voted for access. Um, the cities were blocking it by uh, not basically banning uh, commercial cannabis activity. And, you know, th they were very intent on making sure the people of California had access to cannabis, which is why outside in delivery makes so much sense. And it does. And, and if we want to fight the black market, if we want to make this actually happen, 
we need statewide delivery. There's no way around it. 70% of the state still doesn't allow for retail. I think what most people don't realize is in the black market, there's delivery happening in every city anyway. Exactly. So we better regulate yeah. it. And all you're doing is all you're doing is is actually accentuating the black market by trying to cut off delivery. Mm -hmm. We talked about technology with ease a little bit. Let's talk about some other technology. You brought up data briefly. What are some of the other platforms that you're using? And and is there something in the world that you think should be created? Is there something that you have a real need for? Yeah, I mean, look, we use a lot of the analytics companies to understand, you know, kind of products and segmentation and what's happening in the marketplace, BDS analytics and headset. But um, I think for us in-house, and we just hired um, a kind of a PhD rock star in research and, and really a world-recognized data expert, uh, Jeffrey Graham, um, to basically come in and help understand this, right? Like, you can get analytics from BDS and headset. They're not really the whole picture when you dive into it because it's not, you know, I guess the amount of data they're collecting to date hasn't been really everything that we want to see. So there's, there's some good market trends in there that you see, but I, I think we've yet to really kind of get to the bottom of, of what that looks like. And I, I think for us, we decided to take the approach internally that we wanted to, to take a stab at it. And um, I think understanding market trends and um, using our own in-house kind of almost our tech uh, and data analytics um, experts to figure out this market is going to be big for us. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely agreed. Um, some other exciting things on the brand side that I saw, maybe you're working on a, a, something with Chelsea Handler, which is really exciting. Yeah, we just announced today uh, we're working on a women's focus line with Chelsea. Um, so it's going to be vape pens and some edibles. Uh, mm -hmm. Should be a late spring launch. Can't give away the name quite yet. We're yeah. going to splash that here in a couple weeks. How did that come about? How did Chelsea um, get You know, Chelsea's been shopping that deal with a bunch of cannabis companies. She's really, um, I don't know if you follow her or not, but she's really into cannabis. Uh -huh. Loves it. Yeah. Um, <coughs> and we had some, her lawyer was happened to be mutual friends of uh, Doug Cortina, our CEO. And we just struck up a conversation. Um, and Chelsea came out and, you know, we, we sat down and we were really apprehensive. I'll be honest at first. Um, Look, I've seen celebrity brands. We've tried to do them before. They don't really work out, right? Um, this isn't a celebrity brand as much as this is a celebrity helping or doing a joint venture with us on a brand that they believe in. Mm. Um, I think Chelsea's right, and it's a segment of the of market of the market that we want to be touching is the new women user that needs to be. Uh, educated on or re-educated on cannabis, perhaps a bad experience in the past, perhaps didn't use it because of his illegality. Um, you know, I think Chelsea wants to get her consumer to be able to approach cannabis in a way where they feel comfortable, and I think that's something that we share our values on. So we see it as a great partnership. Really excited to be working with her. She's really, really awesome. and. Um, yeah, we're excited uh, excited to be in that space. Very cool. So that's kind of the consumer side of it. Um, on the B2B side, just like distributing your own flowers and your brands, it's one of the trickier things in the industry, I think, now. There's these different models developing for distribution, self-distribution, fulfillment only, sort of the full sales side. How have you guys tackled that to date? I mean, to date, we've been doing self-distribution. Um, like you said, it's really tricky, right? I think that if you were able to if the amount of stores would never change, then self-distribution is not too hard, right? There's what, almost 600 so or so stores mm -hmm. today. 
Um, you can set up truck routes to manage those accounts mm -hmm. pretty easily. I think it's really, what are you playing for and what does this look like in a year? What does this look like in two years? What does this look like in three years? And at the end of the day, how much bandwidth and capital do you want to spend on building on distribution? You know, um, I know distribution from other industries, and at the end of the day, it's the actual fulfillment and, and the logistics portion. Is it's a low single-digit di margin business. Price compression is real, um, you know, and I don't know if we can justify building out the, the type of distribution network we really want to fulfill 3,000 stores on our own. Mm. For five, six hundred stores, sure. So you know, our approach is we're we're it's definitely hybrid. There's some things that we're going to do on our own, some things where we will just use fulfillment. And for some brands, we may actually buy the whole kit and caboodle. Um, but it's really understanding where the brand is, where it's going to be, um, and how we kind of want to move it along the supply chain. So you're beginning to see the full picture of sort of what vertical looks like here. Um, how about one of the last pieces, which is retail? Tell me a little bit about your strategy there and, and where you're going. Yeah, so retail, obviously, a uh, lifelong dream for me. And, you know, who wouldn't want to be selling out of a store, right? <laughs> yeah. um, but obviously, the headaches of retail are real. But, um, you know, so look, NorCal's uh, approach to retail is both through organic development and acquisition. Um, we've started already with two acquisitions uh, in SoCal mm -hmm. that are live. One uh, is The Lift, which we just uh, took over about two weeks ago. We have another one closing this week, and you'll see another uh, four rollout um, over the next few weeks, plus a very large acquisition here in San Francisco, um, which you'll be hearing about in the next couple of weeks. Exciting. Yeah, so look, we think that uh, there's some great operators in the space that could obviously use our help as a vertically integrated company to get products and um, really everything else we do as a vertically integrated company kind of uh, uh, lockstep with what they've been doing in retail. But um, the other part of it is organic growth. Uh, you know, I think our pipeline of organic growth is uh, probably, you know, I, I, earlier this year we were about six. I think that's probably grown to between 12 and 15 stores. So we really think, um, you know, at the end of the day here, you'll see NorCal sitting on somewhere between 30 and 40 stores, brick and mortar, mm -hmm. al along with our delivery network. Got it. Uh, some of, one of the things I hear from new retailers is that, hey, we're vertically integrated, we're going to sell most of our own products here. We're going to sell 80% of our own products. What do you think about the mix there? How do you sort of maintain the authenticity of other great brands? Yeah, you know? no, and so I, I don't think our approach is that at all. I mean, I think in an ideal situation, we would have all of our products on our menus in every store, but at the most that would be 20 to 30%. Look, there's a lot of great brands out there doing a lot of great things. We wanna give our, cust our customers the ability to choose. We think NorCal brands will win for a variety of reasons, but we are, we're not dumb. We realize that there's other brands out there. We have great friends doing great things and, and stuff that we don't do. Um, and honestly, there's enough out there for everybody to eat. So. You know, I think that that's the wrong approach. And I, I think what you're doing is you're not giving your customers um, really enough variety for them to, to truly appreciate what's out there on the market. Mm -hmm. Got it. So all this new exciting stuff doesn't come cheap. Uh, you've raised a lot of money, I think $75, 76000000 million, including like almost 30 just this year, presumably more to come. How have those conversations changed? I mean, you've been in this business a long time. Sort of tell me about the beginning stages and, and how that's... <laughs> Well, at first they started in uh, they started in your parents' uh, kitchen, right? <laughs> um, 
friends and family. Look, uh, when we started, and we were raising money before a lot of people um, on some of our early cultivation product projects, uh, we owe a, a lot to our friends and family because we were able to raise money then to get us off the ground. But you know, as the years progressed, we reached out to more sophisticated investors um, who bought into our vision and understood what we did. But those were still at the project level. Um, last year, when we went out to raise this money as a consolidated holding company, um, you know, that conversation was not as easy as it is today. It was tough because people still don't understand the vertical. They didn't understand California. They didn't understand delivery. They didn't understand our vision. And um, we had to really drill down and really kind of um, help conceptualize this for the investor who didn't know much about cannabis. Um, and those, those were the early checks that we got. Um, but today, when you go out to the market or you go to New York or somebody comes to SF, these investiga investigators, <laughs> they are investigators. <laughs> um, these investors really, um, most of them know what they're talking about. They understand the business. A lot of them have uh, just really recently, you know, um, uh, freed up some cash from some of their early cannabis investments. Um, the, the investor knows what they're looking for. They're looking for, they also know the pitfalls of businesses that didn't work for them. So you see a more and more sophisticated investor, but you're also seeing more money. And I think uh, that's one of the things that helps separate us from uh, some of our peers is that we've been really good about raising smart money. And um, I think that we're also, uh, we look for investors that under, understand the space, right? We want to learn as much from them as they learn from us. Mm -hmm. Hey, you brought something up interesting about smart money. I think there's this fear in California of a bunch of outsiders coming in and sort of taking over, and you're so authentic, you've been here a long time. Is that a fear that you have? I mean, how do you sort of eliminate potential investors? How do you go through that process? Yeah, it's called the penalty box. <laughs> um, you know, look, we meet all of our investors, and we have, definitely have a culture here. I'm sure, you, I mean, you see it and you feel it when you're here. and it, and. We don't want your money if you don't can understand what we're doing and, and how we operate. And I think most everyone that's signed on to be part of this understands who we are as people and our vision for a company and really the homage that we pay both to the heritage of, of cannabis in California, but also like the respect that we have for the industry. Um, you know, this isn't some pump and dump for someone. Like those are not the people we want. We want people that uh, believe in our business and know uh, where we're headed and that we're focused and want to get behind us. Um, so I think it becomes really easy. I mean, again, it, luckily these days we have the luxury of choosing who we want to be part of this. So um, yeah, it, it's really a blessing. And part of that story has to be about potential exits. Obviously, you're building a big business here. How do you tell that story? Where is this going? Is there an IPO coming? You know, look, there, there may, obviously, like, this is a capital arms race, right? When you're working at a certain level, um, you need money, and you know it's our fiduciary duty to make sure that we're getting money, um, you know, in the most efficient manner. Um, while Canada looked really good to everybody last year, there's definitely some pitfalls that we saw, and um, you know we're not while not ruling it out. It's not on the immediate horizon. I also see uh, the American markets opening up. Um, don't ask me exactly why or how, but there, you know, there's a, a couple of things that can happen here in the States that would make it uh, a lot easier for us to kind of wait it out and go for an American uh, IPO. Um, I think the other thing that, that we're starting to see is that, you know, the value between 
what you would see on the Canadian exchange and private money here, that delta has, has become less and less by the day. Um, so it really may not benefit us to go to Canada. Mm -hmm. Got it. Just because it's there's not as big as an advantage in terms of total dollars. As no, and I think as more and more sophisticated in investors and more and more institutional capital or one-offs of institutional capital mm -hmm. come into the space, uh, I don't think you're going to see that much of a rush. So despite having raised as much money as you have, you're a little bit under the radar in terms of press and all that. Is that something that was intentional? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, again, because we had started this initially, um, you know, our, our initial investors were a little bit, uh, I guess, wanted to be a little bit more veiled in terms of who they were because at that time people weren't investing in cannabis and I think it took a little a little while for them to come around and be okay with it and uh, I think NorCal's has started to put its name out there quite a bit in the industry um, and yeah it was done intentionally but I think uh, obviously now in terms of what we're doing we are pretty much front and center yeah uh, and sounds like a lot more to come as yeah. you've hired a CMO and all these other things um, what else are you hiring for what how big are you gonna grow this team I think you're at 500 employees now something like that yeah I mean we're somewhere you know depending on time of acquisition between five and seven hundred people so we will be at 700 any day now um, and yeah I mean look we want to build a world-class organization right so uh, I think that comes by making sure that you know you have leaders in in all the categories that you really need. So, whether it be finance, compliance, accounting, or sorry, uh, marketing, sales, production, um, we're trying to build these teams out so that they're both cross-functional, but also um, they really operate as kind of like their own division, right? And and they really are the size of a company that we are. So you know. We're trying to scale up as fast as we can. Obviously, it's not easy at the at the rate that we're scaling. You know, basically we went from sixty to six hundred, so ten x in a year. Mm. Um, you know, it's just part of growing pains. Um, you know, we're using outside help to find some top management talent, and obviously we have a vast net network of people, people both inside and um, surrounding the industry. So, um, yeah, it's one of the most difficult things we do. Is there a next big exec hire that you're looking for, a new category leader? You know, really at some point we're going to be looking towards a, a really world-class COO once everything is kind of running to really bring this thing and uh, drive the train forward full speed. Mm -hmm. It's a good transition into my next line of questioning, a little bit more about you and sort of how you spend your time. How has your position sort of evolved through hiring all these people and growing that, that fast? I thought I was going to be golfing more. <laughs> then it's definitely not happening. Uh, man, it's been crazy, right? So, you know, when I helped start this uh, with Blair and Doug, uh, we were doing everything, you know. So from accounting to sales to design to build um, to operations, you know, and as we, as we kind of move forward, we would hire one person that would take a big chunk of something away from us. Um, but then we would find something else, right? And so while I don't do the same things I was doing, I'm just as busy, but now it's in different things. I spend a lot of time right now um, helping out our marketing and sales team as they transition um, into the space and understand it better. Um, I spend a lot of time working on uh, company communications and, and trying to get everybody on the same page, as you can imagine, running an organization of this uh, 
this size and getting departments to talk to one another. Um, it's uh, it's pretty challenging in the fact that um, this really just hasn't been done before in another industry, and in our industry it's unique because of the complex regulations and just the way that we have to navigate certain things. So, you know, I think my day-to-day -day has definitely changed from more of hands-on to more leadership um, in terms of, you know, helping our C-level execs and helping our managers kind of navigate this space and become more efficient. Um, and I spend a pretty good amount of time these days networking as well. Mm, got it. And of course, investors. Yeah, sure. Um, I know you have a history in wine too. You have your own wine brand. Lots of people like to make comparisons, alcohol to cannabis. How similar are those industries and, and what did you learn from, from wine bringing it into cannabis? Um, you know, I think it's, the, the similarities are, there's a ton of them. I mean, when you look at like all the things that are happening, even in the wine world from consolidation to, you know, um, small vineyards and what's going on with small vineyards even being consolidated. I mean, you can apply a lot of what happens in the wine world to what's happening in the cannabis world just at a different rate, a different speed. Um, you know, I, I think it's I think it's unique. I, I think the the issue you'll have is a lot of what happens in the wine world is, is being driven by data analytics that actually exist, that they can count on pretty well, which as you know, um, we just don't have that breadth of information yet. Mm -hmm. We have some of it, as we talked about earlier, um, but we don't really have the amount of information we'd like to make the concrete decisions let's say a constellation can make or a Jackson family would be able to make. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Got it. Um, you've been a cannabis enthusiast a long time. Two questions. What kind of cannabis do you like? Obviously flowers. What kind of flowers? And how do you think your relationship with cannabis has evolved since being in the business of cannabis, especially at a big scale? It's, it's really funny. Like That's a, a great question. Um, yes, flowers. I'm a flowers guy. I, you know, I'm old school, I like to smoke a joint. I'll still hit a pen every once in a while if it's a nice saucepan, but yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, an old I'm an old fuel guy. I'm an OG Kush, sour diesel, headband. Something gassy. Something gassy. Shout out to IC Collective and their chem dog. Uh, ben, if you're listening. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, uh, I, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm an old school, just a flower guy, but man, my relationship to cannabis is pretty crazy, right? Like you know, grew up in a world where it was taboo, obviously being of Indian origin, super taboo. Yeah. Um, kind of being at the, at the front of this movement um, and being a big part of legalization, you know, always living in fear, you know, it's still today, even to this day, like, it's a different world we live in. For, for those of us that have been in the industry our whole lives, um, to be able to have a conversation like this you op with you openly, um, I would never have thought to have done that, let's say, three years ago, mm. maybe even two years ago. Um, it's you know, to be, for us to be too, on the front right? of the New York Times and like have your aunts and uncles call you and like not sure what reaction you're gonna get. Like, you know, it, it's it's crazy. Look, I've always loved the plant. I believe in what it's done. I think it, it, you know, beyond its healing aspects as medicine, it brings people together from all walks of life. It knows, uh, you know, and I hope it ma maintains this, but it, it really, it doesn't see class, you know, you walk into a dispensary on any given day, there's all kinds of people in there and they're all there to smoke weed. Mm -hmm. um, it's one of the magical things about the plant. And like, you know, I still have a love affair with cannabis and, uh, you know, I'm just really happy to be part of the movement uh, at this stage. Look, I've been there, 
You know, I have friends in jail. I have friends that have died for the plant. It's uh, this isn't something I take very lightly. Um, so, you know, to be sitting here today, pretty excited. Yeah, I think you should be. Um, how do you stay informed? We talk about data, but like, what do you read when you wake up in the morning? Oh God, yeah. I mean, you know, you know, usually somebody in our on our BD team is. Uh, it's pretty funny, right? Like people are constantly sending. Um, emails and you know chats that are like it is a constant in terms of like people within the industry stay connected and um you know i'll wake up to god if something big's happening you know 15 20 texts from industry insiders so a lot of the a lot of the people that are are in the industry like you know we stay in touch and we keep each other informed um, i think that's what's really great about this it was something else that i also saw in the wine business is um people were sharing information and it doesn't feel as cutthroat as like maybe tech. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure like execs from Apple and Samsung aren't talking. <laughs> um, but uh, it's not uncommon for me to hear from one of the top five companies on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So that kind of co-opetition is real. Yeah, I mean, I think look, we're all we're all new to this, and the industry is so nascent that like we we could use some help, and like there's plenty for everybody. So I heard you're a big hip hop fan. I am too. Can you give me your top five uh, dead or alive? Wow, dead or alive. Uh, obviously, you know, I, I, I'm gonna tend towards 90s and don't judge me, HR. Uh, uh, Biggie Smalls, Jay-Z. Will you share Tup your name with his yeah. nickname? I was hoping you were gonna say that. Tupac. Um, God, where am I going to go here? Who do I want to... Any newbies? Anybody? You know, I'm not really into the new stuff as much. Man, I'm... Uh, uh, so let's say Jay-Z, Tupac, Big E, Easy e And who's my fifth? God. No Eminem. No I love Nas. M. I love some M. I love Nas, too. I mean, I, you, can, you can go along that line of, like, anything old school that actually had a beat and that really rhymed, like, uh -huh. I can get into I'm not really into this new shit. No mumbling. No mumbling. No mumbling. But like Logic, maybe? Logic's Logic? good. Logic's yeah. good. Yeah. You know, but yeah, I mean, those guys just definitely were a different breed. Got it. Well, I think that's as good a place to wrap up as any. Uh, before we let you go, how would you like to use the platform? How can our audience help you and plug whatever you want? Um, well, you know, I'd love to see people uh, when uh, the NCC shops open up to come in and say hi and see our approach to retail. Um, that'll be under the Herb and Legend brand. And uh, also, um, you know, I just keep fighting for the plant and, um, you know, really uh, when things come up about uh, protecting regulation, or not protecting regulation, helping cannabis thrive in California, realize that this isn't over yet. And, um, you know, we still have a fight ahead of us and uh, we hope, uh, we hope that we get to be uh, as big as we always thought this thing could be. Awesome, man. Thanks so much. It's been great. I appreciate it. Yeah.